When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 22, and we are recording on Tuesday, March 29th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. And Book Riot Live tickets are on sale now. Yes, they are. <laughs> Hooray. Sorry, <laughs> my voice gets, like, really excited. <laughs> um, I have found a new octave. Yeah. <laughs> Ta-da. Um, yes, Book Riot Live tickets went on sale on Monday, and it's very exciting. You should buy them. Early birds get good things. So, yes. Yeah, come see us. Mm-hmm. BookRiotLive.com. When is it? November 12th and 13th. 13th. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so come to New York and hang out with us. Um, so if you are new to this show, this is a personalized reading recommendation write-in show. So you send us your book rec requests. If you need a book recommendation for yourself or for your book club, for a gift, if you need a read-alike because, you know, you read like The Night Circus or whatever and want something to fill that place, uh, that hole in your heart, we can help you with that. You can send them to us. Uh, via email at get booked at book at the get booked at bookriot.com or you can go to bookriot.com to the get booked section and there is a form at the bottom of every episode's show notes where you can drop your question there or you can send them to us on twitter we save them if you send them to us on twitter i'm at i'm amanda nelson and jen is at jen irl jen with two n's all right so let's just jump right in you want to read the first question yes Okay. Go, go, gadget. <laughs> <laughs> go, go, gadget podcast. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any retractable, like, screwdrivers, but I'll, tr- I'll do my best. Uh, so the first question is uh, from Stacy. Uh, let's see. I am hoping you can help me with some recommendations for something new I'm getting into, short stories. I have a back-and-forth commute from work slash school every day, totaling about one hour. Perfect time for audiobooks. I am not at all familiar with many short stories or authors and would appreciate any help starting me out. I enjoy a wide variety of genres, but I do lean towards fantasy and most recently creepy slash horror. This is a perfect segue for our first sponsor. <laughs> okay, so our first sponsor is Penguin Random House Audio, and I am a, an audiobook obsessive. That's fair to say, I think. Yeah, audiobook obsessive? Sure. Oh, sure. Um, and they're focusing right now on audiobooks you can listen to while you're gardening, because it is spring. Spring has sprung, and people are getting outside to do the, the green thumb thing, which I eternally lack. But you're good at this, yes? You have, like, plants, and you live in a big city, so that's, like, impressive. Well, I, I don't garden per se like I do not have a yard (laughs) however I do have a lot of indoor plants I am slowly I have gone from having a black thumb to having like a lightly brown thumb (laughs) getting closer to green with every year because I can't have pets anymore so now I just have plants instead and I name them and it's a thing that happens Um, I actually just (laughs) repotted a vine this past weekend and I'm super proud of myself I do have um what do you call them? They're little like dwarf gardenias that I bought and planted in front of my house. Oh. Um, and I really like, and I was so happy that they made it through the winter. I felt very like, I don't know what the adjective is here, but planty, like gardenish, mm-hmm. uh, yes. because they managed to survive these bushes that I bought. But 
I had I didn't do anything to make them survive. They just did it by themselves. So I really had nothing to do with it. Uh, anyway, That's when okay. I did plant them, when I planted them last year, I was listening to audiobooks while I did it because it's a really easy like you're you're out you're outside doing nothing. You might as well you know like your hands are mm-hmm. occupied, but your brain's not. You don't really need your all the parts of your brain to, to no. garden. So you can, it's a great time uh, to listen to audiobooks. Anyway, so if you go to tryaudiobooks.com, you can input how long you plan on being outside gardening or how long you're doing pretty much any activity, like the length of activity that you're participating in. And they will give you an audiobook recommendation based on the length of your activity. So if you're gardening for an hour or if you are going to be driving for four hours, or if you're going to be crafting for two hours or whatever, they'll give you an audiobook recommendation catered to the length of the thing that you're doing. Um, they, also, if you go to tryaudiobooks.com and to the gardening and cooking section, they have a bunch of recommendations for audiobooks to listen to while you are doing either of those activities, uh, including Jan Martel's new book, The High Mountains of Portugal, and Mindy Kaling's uh, newest book, Why Not Me, uh, The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins, which I just listened to on audio and loved it that way. I didn't know how I would feel about the multiple narrator thing. I don't usually listen to fiction and I don't usually listen to things with multiple narrators because it distracts me. But this one was awesome on both counts. I mean, it's, it's you know, a big, huge, buzzy book for a reason. Um, the Secret Life of Bees by Sue Monk Kidd. They recommend to listen to while you're gardening and or cooking. And you can also get a free download of an audiobook to try while you are outside getting dirt under your fingernails. So go to tryaudiobooks.com to get your free download and to check out what they recommend for you while you are outside getting in the dirt. Okay, so that's our first sponsor. Let's move on. So we are answering, what are we answering? Short stories on audio. Short stories Mm -hmm. on audio. Okay, so I'll go first because I'm already talking. She says that she leans towards fantasy and most recently creepy slash horror. So my first pick for you is North American Lake Monsters by Nathan Ballingrud. This is, I first heard about this book when one of our contributors included it on a post of um, five books that are legitimately nightmare fuel, which I thought was the best title for a post ever. Um, And she's not wrong. This is a collection of scary stories that are all so freaking weird. And it's got the most horrifying werewolf story that I've ever read. And it's not, um, the werewolf is only actually in the story for about five seconds. And maybe is a dog. Like, you don't, you know, it's one of those situations where you just, question mark, unreliable narrator, who knows. Um, But it's so creepy and atmospheric and weird, and the effects of the main character's interaction with that monster go on to haunt him for, like, all of these many millennia. Uh, Not really, because he doesn't live that long, but you know what I mean. Um, So it's super creepy, and all of the stories are like that. Most of those stories are about, like, working-class people who are doing... Um, whatever it is that they're doing in the story to try and, you know, just like try and get by, try to keep their families together, try to make ends meet, try to keep their house, that kind of stuff. And along the way, they encounter um, monsters and baddies. And sometimes the monsters are not mythological. Like there are, you know, there's a werewolf story. There's a weird monster story about a guy who like takes other people's skin to survive. It's really strange. Um, But one of the stories is just about a kid who becomes a white supremacist. Like, sometimes the monsters are just people who are horrible. So, but they're all legitimately nightmare fuel. Um, And I think it would be really great to listen to an audio. So, yeah, that's North American Lake Monsters by Nathan Ballantgren. Nice. Uh, My first pick for you is similar. It's Mm -hmm. Vampires in the Lemon Grove by Karen Russell, who I love. Uh, (laughs) This collection is... Very fantasy, and also 
like only sometimes scary, so you get a nice balance. So, for example, Vampires in the Lemon Grove, which is the title story, is actually not the scariest one. Um, to me, the scariest one is this one that takes place out in like the frontier plains and involves a mirror and is so quietly horrifying <laughs> that I like couldn't look in a mirror for a little while after reading it. And then there's also funny ones, um, and uh, I don't know, she's amazing. Karen Russell is, like, her range is so broad. Um, and so, yes, I highly recommend the Vampires in the Lemon Grove. My favorite story in this collection is about a, g- a bunch of girls who are being held captive in a silk factory. And, like, <laughs> that stuff just goes this place where you're like, what? It's amazing. Um, so, yes, all of her stuff is really good. She's got two collections of short stories and then the novel uh, Swamplandia. But, yes, this is her newest collection. So that is Vampires in the Lemon Grove by Karen Russell. Okay, my second pick for you is one of my favorite books of short stories. And I did make sure that it is on audio, and it is. And it's Birds of a Lesser Paradise by Megan Mayhew Bergman. And this is a collection wherein all the stories are kind of about the uh, human beings interaction with the natural world in some way um, and biology and animals Uh, for example there's one my favorite short story well one of them I have two my first favorite short story in this is about a single mom whose mother has died who is driving for hours and hours through her old um, like town where she used to live with her son trying to track down her dead mom's African parrot like African gray parrot because the parrot can do her mom's voice and yes, she's the story she, is so good it's so awesome and yeah. so she's like looking for this parrot and it's just like the journey or like her trek looking for the parrot and my other favorite um short story is about a woman who is dating a uh population control activist who is who's like involved in this group of people who think that you should stop having children so that humanity can eventually become extinct because we're just such a disease on the face of the planet um and so harmful to the environment that really we should just die off and then the woman who is dating this guy finds herself pregnant and wants to keep the child like finds herself wanting to keep the child and so she's torn between wanting to do what she wants to do with her body and herself and her family and then like dealing with her boyfriend's disappointment and anger and rage or whatever over the fact that she you know, says that she wants human beings to be extinct, but now she's pregnant and whoops. Um, so it's like really odd. Like it's such an odd premise. All of these stories are like, what? Where did you even come up with that idea? Um, <laughs> but they're done so well and they're just so like human and emotional. And all these people who are doing these very strange things, you're just like, I completely understand why you're doing that bizarre thing and making that very odd choice. Um, and there's a there's one about uh, like global climate change and anyway they're just full of stuff about the natural world and our interaction with it and i love it so much so that's birds of a lesser paradise by megan mayhew bergman oh she also wrote i don't know if it's on audio though check out her other it is collection. i actually looked it up oh it yeah. is almost famous mm-hmm. women yeah almost famous women is also great her other collection of short stories which is uh, all the stories are about women who lived on like the periphery of fame so like oscar wilde's niece i think um lord byron's daughter who died in a convent stuff like that like people who were related to famous people also really excellent Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> My second pick for you is kind of an epic audiobook. It's apparently 36 <laughs> hours long. Um, <laughs> and it's an anthology. It's the Tor.com collection season one. And what it is is a collection of the different Tor.com audiobooks that were published in 2015. So it collects a bunch of different authors. So if you're looking for new authors to love, this is going to be a great resource for you. And it's got authors like Kaya Shanti Wallace, who wrote The Sorcerer of the Well Deeps, which is like huge. Um, 
It's got Nettie Okorafor, who we love. It's got Daniel Polanski, who's great. It's a bunch of really good authors. Um, and so they go from sort of one selection to the next, I guess. So there's a bunch of different narrators as well. Um, and, yeah, I recommend it because Tor.com has a great collection of, you know, fantasy slash weird fiction writers <laughs> writing for them like that's what they do it's their specialty so i can guarantee that you'll find something in there that you'll like um and the titles that they have are really really good i mentioned sorcerer of the wall deeps by kaya shanti wilson which is a super interesting book because it's epic fantasy but also has a lot of like i want to call it slang in it like there's an interesting dialectic exercise in the book um which makes it a really interesting atmosphere to read um and obviously nadia okorafor is amazing Mm -hmm. uh lots of good stuff in here so yes that is the tour.com collection season one and i like double checked on audible it's available so that is my other recommendation for you okay question two this is from mia Uh, She says, school has pretty much ruined the enjoyment of poetry for me for quite some time, but I've really been wanting to read some more lately. However, I have absolutely no idea where to start. I think I could especially enjoy those that bring a bit of surrealism in, as well as those about love and relationships. I do realize that this is pretty broad, but I hope that you might have some great diverse poetry collections that you might be able to recommend. Um, Okay, so that's for Mia. Yeah. Yeah, so this is an interesting question, and I haven't read a ton of poetry, but apparently I have read some that qualifies (laughs) because I immediately thought of my first pick, which is Dispatch from the Future by Lee Stein. It is a poetry collection put out by Melville House, and it's got, like, poems about Facebook and you know, Greek mythology and Twitter and pop culture and all of these different things. Um... And I think she really means the title Dispatch from the Future. Like, she's thinking about our current situation and what our future situation could be and contemplating that through the medium the medium of poetry. And it's got a really interesting feel to it. I thought some of them were very funny. Um, a lot of them had me just sitting there going, huh... Which is like a, which is, you know, part of what poetry is supposed to do. Um, and uh, I think that you will dig her sense of humor and her sort of curiosity about how we interact with the world around us and like what that world could look like. So that's Dispatch from the Future by Lee Stein. Okay, so my first selection is actually a, a novel in verse. I thought if you haven't enjoyed like just straight poetry for a while, and wanted to maybe ease in, then like a, a novel in verse might make it a little easier. And so my pick is Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. It's a middle grade uh, novel, so super easy. The poetry is obviously very easy to understand and parse. And the story is amazing. It's uh, semi-autobiographical about a young black girl growing up first in the South and then during um, segregation. And then um, she moves to New York City with her mother. And so she's growing up in both places and coming to realize that she wants to be a writer and that words are the thing that's, that are um, going to, you know, get her through. Um, so it's a great love story to the written word, an excellent exploration of race and identity, and really, really easy to read. And the poetry is amazing. Jacqueline Woodson can write a line that just punches you in the face. Um, and it's intended for, you know, kids, but it's it's heavy reading material and super enjoyable and has won a million awards and i think that's a really good place to start um if you're getting back into poetry at all yeah so brown girl dreaming by jacqueline woodson i co-signed that Mm. 
Uh, okay, my second <clears throat> pick is Life on Mars by Tracy K. Smith, which was the winner of the Pulitzer Prize. So, you know, pretty <laughs> good, I would, I would say. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, you mentioned wanting things about love and relationships, and I think this will be a good one, um, especially because she is doing it through this lens of, like, David Bowie and, like, space <laughs> travel and the universe. So that brings a touch of the surreal to it. Um, or at least just, like, gets us out of the mundane setting. And so she is sort of envisioning a future that is really just about relationships. Like, there's not... It's not about, like, the dangers of science or whatever like that like that you might expect given a sci-fi poetry collection. Um, but, no, it's really about, like... How do we interact with each other? How do we love? What is illness to us? Um, you know, and it also has a touch of the pop culture. Um, and she's also contemplating uh, her the loss of her own father. So um, there's this really personal aspect to it as well. So I think that would be a good one. And that is Life on Mars by Tracy K. Smith. Okay, my second pick for you is a bit of a classic. It's Ariel by Sylvia Plath, which is a really short collection of poems that she wrote um, kind of later in her life. Um, it's only like 100 pages. But it you said you wanted something about love and relationships, and she has poems in this collection about pretty much every relationship in her life. She's got, um, there's ones about marriage, there's a poem she wrote for her son, one she wrote for her daughter, one called Daddy that is predictably about her father. Um, and... I mean, as I'm sure you know, Sylvia Plath was famously uh, suffered from depression. She committed suicide. And so her poems are all a little bit surreal. Um, her metaphors are, are kind of odd and a little, they're like a tick off somehow. And she's got a lot of rage that like is just barely simmering. And she wrote this, I'm, if I remember correctly, she wrote this collection of poems um, after she found out that her husband was having an affair. So she's got a lot of, like, anger working out in these in this collection. Um, but they're also just very sad and affecting. And the ones she writes about her children are so lovely and nice. And Sylvia Plath, I think, is one of those poets who's um, on the more accessible end. Uh, I think that a lot of people read her in school, but they tend to... I don't think they re really read... Uh, her poetry, they seem to read Bell Jar. I read the Bell Jar in high school because it was assigned to me, but we were never assigned her poetry. But her poetry reads a lot like her prose, so it's pretty easy to get through. Um, and they're all super relatable. I mean, if you have children or have ever been in a long-term relationship or have parents, you know, uh, which I assume you know a lot of people have done one or all of those things, then you will relate to the feelings that she's writing about uh, in this collection. So, yeah, that's Ariel by Sylvia Plath. Really, any of her poetry collections are um, excellent. Although some of them were edited by her husband after she died, and those make me kind of nervous, but ah, whatever. That's another rabbit hole of a rant that I will stop talking about now. Sylvia Plath. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have one more? Or oh yeah, I well this isn't just this isn't a collection. I just wanted to mention Billy Collins. Um, I think the New York Times called Billy Collins America's most popular poet or something to that effect. He's been the U.S. Poet Laureate twice. And he wrote my favorite poem, which is Taking Off Emily Dickinson's Clothes, which I love so much. Um, but all of his poems are also very, very accessible. And they're funny. He writes a lot about reading and writing uh, and poetry itself, but they're all really tongue-in-cheek. Um, and so if you are looking for, for poetry you can get into that will like actually make you laugh literally out loud, Billy Collins is a great start. Um, so you can, you can start anywhere. He's got, he's got like a huge long career, so volumes and volumes. Just pick one. <laughs> Nice. All right. All right. On to question three. 
I'm looking for a book to fill the hole in my heart left by the signature of all things. In college, I was introduced to Victorian literature. Middlemarch was a favorite. And the style of this felt similar. I love birth-to-death narratives and feeling as if I'm in the hands of a storyteller. In The Signature of All Things, we're treated to gorgeous, thoughtful writing, and I wonder if anything I'll ever read will be quite the same way. Suggestions. So that question is from Kelly. Uh, should I go first? Sure. sure. First. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so my first pick for Kelly is Life After Life by Kate Atkinson, which, if you've listened to the show before, you may have heard us recommend. <laughs> uh, it is a book that starts off um, with the birth of a woman named Ursula Todd, and, like, 10 pages later, she dies. And then she gets born again. And then 20 pages later, she dies. And then she gets born again. And the book goes on like this, um, basically, for her whole life. Um, And she is born during World War II, and it gradually becomes clear over the course of the book that, like, her destiny, theoretically, is to kill Hitler, which sounds like the craziest freaking premise (laughs) she could ever possibly imagine. And when I first started this book, I was like, how is she going to pull this off? But she does. It's a really fascinating book about choices and, like, what the different lives we could have might look like. Um, And the way that Ursula's life changes from one section to the next is really interesting. And Atkinson is an amazing writer. Like, the prose in this book is beautiful. Um, And the setting is one that, you know, is pretty familiar. Like, there's a ton of World War II books out there, but I've never read anything quite like this book. Uh, So I think that it will give you that feeling of reading something that is just singular and outside of your experience. And, bonus, there's a sequel uh, if you do like it. So that's always nice. So yeah, it's a a book that seems like it's about time travel, but it's not really, and it's kind of about killing Hitler, but it's also not really about that. Really, it's about, like, how lives work. Which is a really interesting thing. So that is Life After Life by Kate Atkinson. Okay, Kelly, I just want to say to you that I feel this pain. The signature of all things, I loved it so much. And I had such a hardcore book hangover after I read that. Like, nothing will ever compete with this. Um, I mean, like, how many books about middle-aged moss scientists who are women in Victorian England do you ever get to read? This one. (laughs) There's just the one. And it's this one. Um, so yeah, if you haven't read The Signature of All Things, uh, go out and read it. Who's the, what was her, Elizabeth Gilbert is the author. Uh, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. But don't hold that against the other book if you don't like Eat, Pray, Love. So my first suggestion for you is The Fair Fight by Anna Freeman. And I have talked about this book uh, on the show before. It takes place in Regency, England. And the main character is a woman named Ruth who is born into a brothel. Her mother is a prostitute. And Ruth is not pretty enough to you know, go on in the family way. So she kind of becomes like a maidable work uh, in the brothel and grows up doing that. And so, of course, her childhood is pretty rough. She gets into a lot of fights. And then one day, a client of her mother's sees her fighting and realizes that she's actually quite good at it. And so he takes her uh, kind of under his wing and makes her a bare-knuckle boxer. (laughs) So uh, Regency England female bare-knuckle boxing. The book has been described as Crimson Petal and the White Meets Fight Club, which is pretty apt. Um, So she goes on to get, she marries another boxer. She has a career uh, as a a bare-knuckle boxer. And then at the same time, you're following another character named Charlotte, who is the opposite of Ruth in every way. She's wealthy. She's, you know, a lady. She's really upper class. She marries somebody very wealthy and goes on and kind of does that really cloistered, suffocating life where she doesn't have friends she doesn't have anything to do with herself she's got um 
nowhere to go, really, and her husband is awful to her, and so is her brother. And pretty much all of the men in her life, eh, pretty much all the men in this book are just awful, except Ruth's husband. Ruth's husband is pretty great. Um, and so through a series of events in the book, their paths cross, so Charlotte and Ruth, the rich lady and the woman who grew up at the brothel, who's a bare-knuckle boxer, their paths cross, and under the auspices of giving Ruth drawing lessons, Ruth actually starts to teach Charlotte to fight. Um, and so... She does, and I'm not going to tell you what she does with that um, newfound skill, but it's pretty awesome. So it's a, you were looking for life to death narratives, and that is this. And it's also in the same way that Signature of All Things takes a look at um, kind of the inner life of a really intelligent woman in a time period where you don't get a lot of narratives about the inner lives of really intelligent women, if you, uh, you know, outside of Austin or Bronte. Um, this is doing the same thing. This is a look at both the inner life of an upper class intelligent woman who uh, can't escape her situation and a, low, a lower class, really, really dirt poor woman, which is represented even less in literature from that time period. Um, and so it's really about female friendships and the things that women had to do back then and still kind of have to do to deal with being trapped in their situation by men who have more privilege than them. So yeah, I love it a lot. It's called The Fair Fight by Anna Freeman. All right. So my next pick is also one I've talked about before. Uh, <laughs> it's The Queen of the Night by Alexandra Chi. And it is about a woman who has become a legendary soprano in the Paris Opera. Her name is Liliette Byrne. And she's like, she's at the pinnacle of her career. Men give her diamonds that she throws in the trash. She's just wanted and loved and beloved everywhere. And one day she's at a party and um, a very nervous composer comes up to her and wants her to create a role, which is like the ultimate thing for an opera singer to do, um, for his new opera. And he starts telling her the storyline and she realizes that it's about her, only he doesn't know it because it doesn't sound anything like what her life is supposed to have been. So you find out that Lilia has all of these secrets and she's really afraid of them coming out and she doesn't understand how this guy could have gotten this information. So she starts starts trying to figure out who from her past could have told him this story and like trying to prevent anybody from knowing that it's actually about her which is amazing. Um, so it takes place in France, obviously, um, in the Second Empire. Um, and she, it's like, it's glitzy and it's beautiful and there's jewels and balls, but it's also like really gritty and you kind of see behind the scenes in all of that glitz and glamour. Um, you, I learned so much about opera, which I didn't think I was interested in. <laughs> and then like, lo and behold, it's fascinating. Um, and you said you wanted, you like the feeling of being in the hands of a storyteller and Alexander Chi is such a good storyteller. The way that he builds Lilliet's voice and what, um, the way he unfurls her story is so fascinating. Uh, I just love this book so much. Everybody needs to read it. So that is The Queen of the Night by Alexander Chi. Okay, my second pick for you is A Good American by Alex George, which I just love so much. If There's like a little Alex George-shaped hole in my heart where only this book goes. It's, it's so great. Aww. It's one of these just like really heartwarming. Anyway, I should probably tell you what it's about. So it opens in 1904 and the main characters are uh, Frederick and Jet. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Jette? Hmm. J-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E. Anyway, um, they are living in Germany and they want to get married, but um, Jet's mother 
is not down with that. So they decide to run off to America and start a new life. So they get on a boat to New York and then they somehow actually end up going to New Orleans. And the way that they handle that is so great because they're just like, Neh. they both have new in the name. Like, how different can they be? Whatever. Um, and so in their travels, they eventually find themselves settling down in a small town in Missouri where they don't speak any English. Um, and then they have to kind of build a life. And so the book is told from the perspective, the narrator is their grandson. And so you don't just get the birth to death of these two characters, you get the birth to death of several generations, which for a book that, about like that, that's so multi-generational, it's, it's only 400 pages. So it's not, it's not as epic as the signature of all things, but it's equally um, thought-provoking and heart-wrenching. So you go through a couple of world wars, um, the Kennedy assassination, you go through prohibition, uh, you go through segregation and racism. Um, there's a one of the characters that really stuck with me when I read this a couple years ago was a school teacher who I don't even know how to put this delicately like teaches the young men in town some things if that's I'm an elbow <laughs> wink you, wink nudge nudge. <laughs> nudge nudge yeah and it's just, it's very like wonder years where you're like oh not okay whatever <laughs> moving on um, so it's really funny it's got a great cast of secondary characters outside of this family and their you know problems um. But it's essentially about what it means to be an American and what it means to be good at that, especially when you come from a family, as almost all of us do, almost all of us, um, that was not originally from here. And Alex George, the author, isn't from here either. He's an American citizen now, but he was born in England and uh, lives in Missouri. And so he's got a really interesting perspective on what it means to come here from elsewhere and become uh, a member of this whatever culture community um so yeah that's a good american by alex george next question oh wait you. It's me. me it me okay this is from Lindsay. i'm a history nerd and i really love narrative nonfiction authors such as eric larson hampton sides laura hillenbrand timothy egan and doris kearns goodwin i love her since that's the whitest list ever can you recommend some poc authors to try uh, poc meaning people of color i've just i've read just mercy and the new jim crow and both are great but i don't know where to go from here help please you want to go first? I, yeah, I'll go yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, neither of my picks for Lindsay are straight-up histories, but I think you'll see why I picked them when I tell you what they are. Mm-hmm. So my first pick is The Republic of Imagination, American Three Books by Zarna Fizi. Um, This book is fascinating to me. So she's the author of Reading Lolita in Tehran, which told about how she taught like The Great Gatsby and other American um, classics to her students in Iran. And this book, she is talking about why she thinks the American classics are important and what they, what she thinks they tell us about America through the lens of three specific books. Um, and so it's a really interesting look at not only these three books, but also the history of American letters, um, the way that people who are not from here view America, um, the way that America presents itself as a literate society and what that actually means to us or perhaps does not mean to us. Um, She looks at the education system. She looks at all of these different aspects like social and economic and political aspects um, surrounding the three books that she's picked. And it's really fascinating. Uh, She has a lot of thoughts. I don't always agree with them, but they always Mm. make me think hard about what it is that she's talking about, whatever the issue is. Um, 
And she's she's so smart. <laughs> she's like incredibly intelligent, obviously, and uh, and so her thoughts, whether or not you agree with them, are very interesting and thought provoking to read. So I think this book would give you a really interesting overview of something that you maybe have never thought about before. And clearly, you love books. So I mean, a book about books, like what more do you want? Uh, so that is the Republic of Imagination by Azar Nafizi. Seconded. I love that book. And it's the same thing where I was like, I don't agree with like 30% yeah. of what you're saying, but she's right. so, I've never thought about it. So Right, exactly. It's like, oh, why don't I agree with that? And what do I think I would say to her if we were to talk about it? Which like could never happen. I would not have words. <laughs> <laughs> Azar, let's talk about Huck Finn. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, so my first pick for you is The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson, which is a big, giant history, which is my favorite kind, um, of the epic story of America's Great Migration, which is the subtitle. So the story here, which I did not learn about this in school at all, and I have a history degree and never once was this ever touched upon. Um, it is about the decades long migration that started right after the First World War and went into the 60s of black people who fled the South for cities, big cities in the North and the Midwest and in LA and obviously fleeing um, Jim Crow and all of the horrible things that were happening to black people in the South at that time. So almost 6 million people left the South, uh, which of course changed both the face of the South and of these big cities in the Midwest, Northeast, and in uh, and Los Angeles and California. And so she tells this story by focusing on the lives of three people. Uh, one is a woman who uh, left Mississippi for Chicago in the 30s. Um, and another, I think, was a doctor who left Louisiana to become a, a, a physician in... Um, an army physician in LA who ended up being like the personal physician for Ray Charles. Um, and another person who in the forties left Florida to go to Harlem. Um, and so all of these people, she is telling the stories of these three individuals and also their families and friends as a way of portraying the motives and uh, reasons that everyone in the South left at that time and what life was like for them when they got to New York or Chicago or L.A. Um, and how they encountered different racism in those places, less uh, the racism that wasn't necessarily as overt, but but that was just as insidious, like, uh, you know, housing, prejudice and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so it's big, like 700 pages narrative nonfiction about this time in history and this. Um, I don't even know the word I'm looking for, like. Uh, event, I guess. I don't know if it's really an yeah, event, but this event. thing that happened over, you know, 60 years in America that completely re reformed the face of our country um, and that I had just never heard about. So, so that's The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. All right. My second pick is The Faithful Scribe, A Story of Islam, Pakistan, Family, and War by Shahan Mufti. Apologies if I got that first name wrong. Um, or this last name. Uh, <laughs> always, you know, coda apologies for mispronunciations. Um, this book is really interesting because it's kind of a memoir and also kind of a family history. And then those things combine to give a very interesting look at Pakistan. Um, so he... 
comes from, he can trace his own family history back 1400 years, which is like, first of all, amazing to me Mm -hmm. because I'm like, you know, classic, like Heinz 57 is what they called it when I was growing up, like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, lots Mm -hmm. of random things. And I cannot, I mean, I think I can, on my mom's side, we have maybe a couple generations of family tree, but otherwise I got nothing. Um, So he can trace his family back 1400 years um, to the inner circle of the prophet Muhammad. And his family has traditionally been judge and jurists in the Muslim Sharia courts, uh, which is super interesting to me as a topic. Um, And so what he's doing by looking not only at his own family, but well, yeah, so he's looking at his own family and through that he's tracing sort of the evolution and the journey of Sharia law and also, you know, the lives of his family as they practiced that law um, through the different generations leading up to present day in Pakistan. And it's fascinating. It's so interesting. He's a really good writer. He really, he, it's, there's a lot of anecdotes. Like there's a whole section about his mother's wedding that was just beautiful to read and also really fascinating. Um, and so I, this book just was, I really, really interesting to me. It's not even that long. It's like 400 pages. Um, and it's, if you have any interest in learning more about that side of the world, which I think we all should be interested in, uh, it's, it's a really fascinating personal history that gives us a view into the larger history of Pakistan, um, which was, you know, the world's first Islamic democracy, which is fascinating. So yes, that is uh, The Faithful Scribe by Shahan Mufti. Okay, my second pick for you is Being Mortal, uh, Medicine and What Matters in the End by Atul Gawande. <clears throat> Excuse me. Atul Wande is a physician who's written a lot of books, actually, about uh, the medical industry. But this one is about how we handle death. And this focuses specifically on Western culture and, I guess, American, the, like, the American health system. And so he's talking about how um, we are obsessed with living as long as humanly possible, despite the fact that so often our end-of-life care, especially when we have debilitating illnesses like cancer um, or heart disease, um, we just end up suffering. So like we're giving up quality of life in order to extend our lives. And we're also doing that to our loved ones when they can no longer make choices for themselves. And so he gives a lot of examples of, um, you know, patients who are diagnosed with cancer and have, you know, X amount of months to live. And instead of spending those X amount of months you know, spending time with their family and living out the rest of their life comfortably, they go through all of these horrible, like horrible, painful procedures that just make them sicker. um, And eventually, you know, it doesn't prolong their life at all. uh, Anyway, so it's, uh, oh, oh, and one of the most, like, fascinating parts of this book to me was how we handle our elderly relatives, like how people end up treating um, family members, we put them in nursing homes, where, Uh, You know, nursing homes are so regulated and so occupied with safety that they like tie their patients to beds and leave them in their wheelchairs and don't let them get up because what if they fall and all of this kind of stuff. And so all the things that we do in order to alleviate our own guilt and to make uh, make ourselves live as long as possible and what it's what it's doing to our, our culture. And it really made me completely rethink what I want the end of my life to be like um, and what I would do were I to be diagnosed, you know, at a young age with some sort of. Uh, fatal illness and like what I would want my kids to do it just like put me on this like rabbit hole of thinking about stuff I had never thought about before because I'm 31 and whatever I'm immortal obviously not really true um so uh so it's a really fascinating look at the American healthcare system especially the American uh death care system basically and how we handle um 
our elderly citizens in this country and their health care. So that's Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. I love him so much. His book, The Checklist Manifesto, is like my Bible. (laughs) It's so interesting. Yeah, he's fascinating. He's a fascinating Cuban. He's like a super genius. He writes about all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, how do you have time? I don't know. I know. And then he's also a practicing surgeon. Like, what? I don't. Yeah, it's it's astonishing. (laughs) All right. Moving right along. It's time for our second sponsor, which I'm pretty excited about, actually. Uh, (laughs) Actually. I mean, you know. Um, So our our second sponsor is Rich and Pretty by Rahman Alam. Again, apologies if I said that wrong. Um, This book, this debut novel, has been hugely buzzy. You might have already heard about it. I have been hearing about it a lot. Uh, And it's a debut novel set in New York City, in contemporary New York. And it's about two best friends who have been friends since they were kids. Like, they went together through high school and college and, you know, first jobs. And now, like, you know, they're in their 30s and they have jobs and one of them is getting married and the other one is pursuing her career. And they're kind of looking at each other and being like, what is your life? Like, (laughs) why? You know, it's like that feeling when you see one of your friends you've known forever and you're like, how? how does that make you happy? Like, and and also, but sometimes you're insanely jealous. Like, they have a thing that you, like, secretly want, but you would never do. And then watching them do that thing can be crazy-making. And so it's about how friendships grow and change and evolve or don't grow and change and evolve and what it means to, like, continue being a best friend over the course of that much time. Like, can you be a best friend for somebody in high school and then also in your 30s. If you've changed so much, do you change together? Do you grow apart? All of these questions. Um, and I, like, I love, I'm, I'm learning to love rich people problem books. <laughs> it used to be a thing I was like, I don't want that. And then the more them I read, I'm like, maybe I do want this. Sean <laughs> Freud. <laughs> right. Because, like, if you take away, like, the basic survival question, which I also do love to read about, though, um, like, the nuances of, like, okay, so if money is not a problem, like, what are your problems like it's very interesting to me because that will never be me Um, Mm, and so so yes so that is rich and pretty by Rahman Alam and um it comes out oh my gosh I don't have the publication date right in front of me yes I do June 7th so mark your calendars for June 7th um and we will drop a link in the show notes for you to find more information all right question five it you It me. Uh, Question five is from Sarah. I was wondering if you had any recommendations for novels set in Mexico, preferably by Mexican authors in translation. I recently read The Cartel by Don Winslow, and while I enjoyed it, I realized I haven't read any books set in Mexico by a Mexican author. I really want to remedy this, and furthermore, I think it's important that I do so. Any recommendations you have would be most welcome. Oh, yes, we have recommendations for you. Uh, You go first. Okay, um, so both of my picks are on the Best Translated Book Award long list, which was just announced, like, 30 minutes ago. Um, And now I can say that, that they're on the long list. So yay. Uh, These are two of my personal favorites. 
from the long list. So the first one is Body Where I Was Born by Guadalupe Natal, and it's translated by J.T. Lichtenstein. And I've been plugging this book as Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man, but by a brown woman, and therefore more interesting. Um, so it, it, it takes place in, in Mexico, obviously, and the narrator is sitting on her therapist's couch and is telling the story of her childhood to her therapist. So it's like one kind of long monologue. Um, and she it, her childhood was kind of weird. She's born with a birth defect in her eye that her family becomes like obsessed with fixing, um, despite the fact that it isn't that debilitating, but they want her to be perfect. Um, and so she has to survive, like, her family's weird attempts to make her perfect. And then her family falls apart. Her parent, her father goes to jail. Her mother travels and takes them with her to Paris. They bounce around Mexico a bit. And all the while, she's discovering what sort of person she wants to be. She goes through, you know, like, those teen rebellious phases. She learns to love books and writing and um so it's really in the same way that Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man is is about someone's childhood and how it made them into an artist. This is very much like that, um, except about a childhood in Mexico and some parts of Europe. And her uh, all the secondary characters are very strange. Her grandmother is one of my favorite characters, kind of really weird and strict. Um, and it takes place a lot in the 80s, which is great because like the 80s, it's interesting to see how much of what I remember from that time period, which well, I mean, I was born in 84, so I don't remember much, but like the 80s, 90s, um, it's interesting to see what I remember from that being translated into someone who grew up in another country, like this, the music that she listens to and whether or not it was the same as the stuff that I listened to in 1997, that kind of stuff. It's really interesting to me. So that's The Body Where I Was Born by Guadalupe Natal. All right. My first recommendation for this question is a classic. It's Like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel, translated by Carol Christensen and Thomas Christensen. Um, you may have heard of it. It's awesome. <laughs> it's sort of a magical realism uh, family story. And uh, so it's about the this one family, the De La Garza family, and all of the women. It's like an entirely female family. And uh, Tita, the youngest daughter, is supposed to stay at home and look after her mother until she dies, and that is her job in life. Like, she has to stay home and be the woman of the house and take care of her mother, and that's it. But she falls in love. Surprise, surprise. Um, and she is cooking for this guy, Pedro, and her food is like magical um and the food in this book oh my gosh it's it is magical <laughs> you will want to eat all of it um and so uh but they can't be together and so he marries her sister which is like the best idea ever obviously totally um, wise. So, right like what can go wrong what, here i mean you know that makes perfect sense so he marries her sister so that they can be close to each other but obviously they cannot be close to each other because now he's married to her sister so it's about what happens next um and it's about our family obligations and about relationships and love and like the different kinds of love that you can have in your life and also food 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 uh, so yes, that is Like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel. Okay, my second pick for you is Signs Preceding the End of the World by Yuri Herrera and translated by Lisa Dillman. And I think I've talked about this on the show before, maybe. Um, but this is a really short, it's probably a novella, I guess. It's 130 pages. And it's about a young girl named Makina who is traveling from 
an unnamed place into an unnamed place, but it's obviously she's traveling from Mexico into the U.S., um, sneaking across the border, across a river, um, in search of her brother. So her brother um, immigrated to the United States before the book starts, but they haven't heard from him in a while. Her family hasn't heard from him in a minute. So she, her mother sends her over there to find him and to make sure he's okay. And while she's going, she's also given um, a thing to do, like a task or whatever, um, to do um, by a member of the like Mexican crime underworld that kind of controls her village a little bit. So she's going over with these twin missions to complete this thing from uh, that this gangster wants her to do in a friend of brother. And so it's uh, the... I can't, I can't tell you, like, whether or not she finds her brother or what she finds or any of that because it's all super spoilery and really interesting. But she does make it, so she hires somebody to take her across the river. And it's a very river stick sort of situation. Uh, feels very mythological. And then when she gets into the U.S., she has to find her way to where she thinks her brother is and she has to survive. So she's got to find food. She's got to find a place to eat. She has to figure out transportation. She has to figure out where she's going. She doesn't really speak great. English. And so um, it's a lot. There's a lot in this little book about um, your your thoughts and how your thoughts change when you're trying to speak in another language um, and crossing that boundary. So, of course, the whole thing is about crossing in crossing boundaries and translations and things like that. But um, so much of it is about her like inner monologue and how it changes as she moves from a place where she's comfortable and knows everyone into a place where she's completely uncomfortable and terrible things could happen to her at any minute. Um, and so it's really timely and relevant to what's going on, especially in our political situation right now. Um, but it's also just so well-written and fascinating. And Makina is such a, like, she's a badass. She gets shot in the desert near the beginning of the book and then just like, kind of like carries on with her stuff because she's got stuff to do and she doesn't have time to be shot and whatever. And it's just great. I love her so much. So um, that is Science Preceding the End of the World by Yuri Herrera. I have got to read that book. Every time you talk about it, I'm like, I need to read it. It's super short. <laughs> you would like it, I think. It's really yeah. weird. It's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to have to get my hands on it. Um, okay, my next pick for this question is The Old Gringo by Carlos Fuentes, uh, translated by Margaret Sayers Peden. I love Fuentes. I love him. I love him. I actually <laughs> haven't read this particular one, but I have no qualms in recommending him unconditionally. He's amazing. Crazy pants storyteller. Um, <laughs> like his book, Terra Nostra, which is like 1400 pages long and takes place in like three different time eras and is kind of about Columbus but kind of not like blew my mind wide open when I first read it. Um, but anyway, I'm recommending The Old Gringo because Terra Nostra is not actually about Mexico. Um, the Old Gringo is. It's about, it's actually about Ambrose Bierce, uh, the American writer, journalist slash soldier dude. Um, who lived in Mexico with Pancho Villa's soldiers um, and encountered, like, you know, General Arroyo and had all of these experiences. And so what I think is interesting about this book is that it's a Mexican writer writing about an American living in Mexico. Like, that's an interesting combination of things. Um, And it's about, you know, sort of how, like, what it means to be an outsider trying to make a home in a country that's not your own. Um, It's about what it's like to have outsiders in your own country. Um, and it's, you know, really about this larger conflict um, that the two men are caught up in. So uh, I think that would be super interesting both historically and from that sort of meta, like, Mexican writing about America, living in Mexico kind of angle. So that is The Old Gringo by Carlos Fuentes. Okay. Last question. Do we have time? Oh, yeah, we got plenty of time. Yeah, we're good. So this is from Mary. 
And Mary says, my husband and I are planning to travel to South Korea in the next year, and I'm looking for books that take place there. I enjoy reading mysteries, thrillers, romance, science fiction, and nonfiction. I would love a travelogue similar to Bill Bryson or a fiction book. Some books that I've read recently that I enjoy include Romancing the Duke, Trick 22, and The Kingdom of Ice, Kitchens of the Great Midwest, and Station Eleven. Do you have any recommendations? Okay, I'll go first. Um, so my first pick for you is The Vegetarian by... Uh, Han Kang, or Han, Han Kang, I'm sorry. And the translator is Deborah Smith. And this book is so weird. It's super weird. Uh, and I think maybe if you like Station Eleven, only because that book is also weird. <laughs> and that is where the similarities end. Um, so the main character in this book has a nightmare about blood and gore and meat packing and decides when she wakes up that she's never going to eat meat again. And that's very odd in her culture. Um, and so she becomes a vegetarian and in doing that kind of kicks off these like social mores that are very strictly obeyed. And her family reacts really horribly to her decision not to eat not to eat meat anymore. And it's a really short book. It's under 200 pages. Um, and it's told in three parts from three different points of view her husband i think her kid and maybe her mother-in-law i don't remember which the point of points of view are but none of them are her so you don't ever actually hear her perspective of what's happening to her but there's abuse it's um her like passive rebellion takes more and more bizarre and frightening forms so it's a lot about mental illness and how families react to someone in their um someone messing with their you know equilibrium and the status quo of their family life and um, so there's, yeah, trigger warnings. There's some physical abuse here. And it's just like the, the prose is really beautiful, but it's really very strange. And it's obviously an allegory about life in modern South Korea um, and about conformity and choices that we make um, and how we deal with other people violating what we consider to be like the rules of cultural norms or the rules of societal norms. Um, so that is the veget- uh, excuse me, the vegetarian by Han Kang. <laughs> I can't talk. That would be a very different book. Yes, it would. <laughs> well, she said she likes romance. No, I'm not even going to. Never mind. Abort. Abort joke. Abort joke. Okay. All right. All right. My first pick for this question is Please Look After Mom by Kyung Suk Shin, um, which won the Man Asian Literary Prize, which is uh, always a good sign, um, and it's kind of it's kind of a mystery thriller type situation. So uh, it's about a woman who is a grown mother. Um, she's sixty nine, and they're at the Seoul subway station, and she's separated from her husband because it's so crowded, and then disappears. Nobody can find her. Her husband doesn't know where she is. Her grown children don't know where she is, um, and so of course they're all trying to find her. And it's told from the perspective of her daughter, her son, her husband, and then her mother or well no her own perspective but you don't get that until sort of the very end so there's a lot of wondering about like who is this woman actually how much do her children really know about her how much does her husband know about her and then she starts to tell her own story and so uh yeah and it's um it's been recommended by like it won Amazon Best Books of the Month. It's uh, Jamie Ford wrote it up for um, the New York Times. Like it's it's or he wrote a review anyway, uh, and uh, it's great. I highly recommend it. So that is Please Look After Mom by Kyung Suk Shin. Okay, my second pick for you is Re Jane by Patricia Park. And this play, excuse me, this takes place partially in New York and partially in South Korea. And it's a retelling of Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Um, so the main character Jane Re is a 
teenager, well, young adult. She just she's just graduated from high school, and she uh, lives in Queens and is being or lives with her family, her Korean uncle and his family and she is an orphan and so she is half white and half korean and so she doesn't really fit in with her korean community she doesn't really fit in with the white kids at her school either so she's got a lot of identity issues she leaves her uncle's um house to go move into a family's home and be their nanny in brooklyn and the husband is an english teacher and the wife is a professor of women's studies and she falls in love with the husband and um then a big tragedy happens, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, um, but it's not the same thing as what happens in Jane Eyre. Like, there are a lot of correlations and parallels between the two stories, but it's not an exact retelling. Um, so the big tragedy happens, and Jane flees New York and goes back to South Korea to kind of find out about her family and to look into her mother's history. No one will tell her really anything about her mother, um, <clears throat> and to figure out what sort of person she is and what sort of person she wants to be. And then she comes back to New York and does that, does those things that she discovers in South Korea. Um, so if you like uh, Jane Eyre, this is a really, really great retelling. I think it's diverse. It's more modern. Her relationship with the Rochester figure, who is the father, obviously, that she's nannying for, is really fascinating and um, not really similar to Jane's relationship with Rochester in, in Jane Eyre. And I love what Patricia Park does with the Bertha character, you know, in Jane Eyre, Rochester is married and he's put his crazy wife in the attic um, to keep her out of an, an insane asylum, which would mean, you know, that she would pretty much die in Victorian England at that time. And that character, the Bertha character in Re-Jane is a women's studies professor who works in the attic. And I just love it so much. And she's such a great character. Um, so that's Re-Jane by Patricia Park. Is that it? Um, oh, no, you've got one more. No, I got one more. Okay. Um, my second pick is Jade Lady Burning uh, by Martine Limon. Uh, this is part of the Soho Crime series, which has, like, a lot of different international lines. So if you anybody who's looking for international mysteries in particular, I highly recommend you check them out. Um, so this one is set 20 years after the end of the Korean War, and obviously there's still a U.S. military um, in South Korea. And uh, so, you know, the Koreans are, like, not thrilled about the soldiers being there. Um, the soldiers are not exactly thrilled to be there either. And uh, the story picks up when a young Korean woman is found murdered um, in the red light district of Seoul. And it looks like it might be the work of an American boyfriend. And so these two sergeants who are the military police are assigned to the case, um, but they really have nothing to go on. And it's a very, like, hot-button situation because a young woman has been murdered and it looks like an American did it. Uh, so, obviously, high stakes. Um, high stakes mystery. Uh, and so, yeah, um, that is Jade Lady Burning by Martine Limon. All right, that's our show. That's our show. Jazz hands. Jazz um, hands. So, what was I going to say? Something about iTunes. I don't know. What day is oh, it? Yeah. Where am I? Review us on iTunes. <laughs> we love reviews. We love getting feedback. It helps other people find the show as well, which is always awesome. Yes, please. And if you have a request, recommendation request, you can email it to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or leave it in the form at the bottom of the show notes. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson, and Jen is at Jen IRL, Jen with two N's. IRL and thank you to our sponsors Penguin Random House Audio at tryaudiobooks.com and Rich and Pretty which is a great title. It's a really good title. I love that title. <laughs> and we will talk to y'all next week. Bye.